Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight's society was hosted by Hui Pham and the one and only Stephanie Aguilar. Tonight at the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had global brand ambassador, Mr. Dave Mitten in the house from our northern neighbors, Canada with JP Weisers. Cheers, Dave. What did we taste to tonight? We did some expressions of JP Weiser's, some of my favorites, uh, JP Weiser's 15 year old corn rye blend, JP Weiser's 18 straight corn, uh, little seasoned oak, one of our master blenders limited editions. It was and a treat, you can't get that here. Delicious. And then uh, our new uh, expression of JP Weiser's rye. I can't wait to try it in a Manhattan. It's gonna be delicious. It's gonna be fantastic. Guys, check out our podcast, spiritguidesocietypodcast.com, and always be sure to enjoy the podcast responsibly. That means don't get drunk on the holidays and tell your in-laws how you really feel about them, okay? Cheers, Cheers to that. So you know what, Canadian whiskey is actually not a category that I'm really too familiar with. It's not something that I drink often. Um, I'm definitely, I definitely love rye and I love bourbons and scotches, but I know a little bit of a little bit about the Canadian history whiskey, um, whiskey of uh, their history, but not too much. Can you just dive in there? For yeah, us? absolutely. Let's, let's the ground running. I mean, you're 100% correct. Canadian whiskey is sold in 100, 160 countries around the world. It was the number one selling spirit category in the US until 2012 and bourbon took over. But it's also the world's most misunderstood spirit. I mean, not many people know that much about Canadian whiskey, which is very interesting. Um, historically, we're a much younger country. We're 151 years old. Uh, so our whiskey category, when I'm over in the UK, I talk about their fences being older than our country. Um, so our whiskey is naturally a lot younger. Yeah, well. and I know it has history in, I mean, J.P. Weiser and Hiram Walker are American, actually. They are. And before that, to my understanding, in Canada, they were making rum predominantly just because of that sugar trade that was happening during the English, uh, the English invasion, right? First recorded, first recorded distillery was in Quebec in 1769, and it was predominantly making rum. Predominantly That's correct. Rum. Uh, now, where Canadian whiskey came to be, year of 1762, the Highland Clearances happening over in Scotland, a lot of people being pushed out of their homes, taxes going up, the rich are getting rich, poor getting poor. A lot of the Scottish made their way overseas to Canada. Same way a lot of the Irish made their way to the US. I grew up East Coast Canada, so New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, a lot of Scottish heritage there. And a lot of the Scots brought their distilling techniques over as well, because at that point, we weren't doing anything but eating our grains. Yeah, and to my understanding also, the <laughs> grain that you guys were using was almost pretty close to spoiling, right? Well, <laughs> no, I mean. I mean, the grain that you were using to make this whiskey initially, when they first, because before the Scottish and the Irish came over, you guys didn't have too much of a distillation practice there, correct? Oh, there was none, yeah. what, none whatsoever. It was the Scottish coming over, and then it was the year of 1776, American independence at war with the British, when the British lost, where do you think they headed? They went to the hills of Kentucky and New York. They got the hell out of Dodge. They came to Canada. <laughs> and a lot of those people brought their stills with them because they were going by buggy and carriage. And yeah, Canada was predominantly known for lots of wheat and corn everywhere, but rye grew in great abundance. Rye grows in rockier climates, colder climates. So there was tons of rye around at the time. And those are interchangeable, right? The Canadian whiskey, or you guys call it Canadian rye whiskey, right? It's, it's very interesting in the sense, it, Canadian whiskey has two categories. Okay. Canadian whiskey, 
and then Canadian flavored whiskey, where we know there's whiskeys now that put flavorings, apple, caramel. We see it in America and Canada, and that's about it. But in the US, there are 52 categories of whiskey. So you gotta think of that way. And yes, Canadian yeah. whiskey, our rules and regulations are about the same as Irish, a lot of people will say. Not as lax as Japan, but we have the ability to create really innovative whiskeys with our rules and regulations and our laws. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about JP and where he came from and how he is essentially kind of almost the mecca of what we know Canadian whiskey yeah. to be today. You are correct to say that he was an American. Yeah. A lot of, we had five Canadian whiskey ambas or, uh, ambassadors. That's me, only one. <laughs> uh, we had five Canadian whiskey barons. They were the people who kind of set the tone and the rules and regulations of how Canadian whiskey is made. There were a couple from Canada, a few from the UK, and many from the US. JP Weiser, John Philip Weiser, was from Trenton, New York. And he was a businessman first. He was not a distiller. He bought his first distillery in Prescott, Ontario, actually for the reason he was doing something no one else was at the time. We've got some of his log books from the mid-1800s, and it's pretty interesting. He bought the distillery because he wanted the spent grain at the end of the process to feed to his cattle. That's interesting. He was a very smart businessman. He was the largest cattle uh, farmer in North America. He was the first cattle farmer in North America to sell cattle to the UK. Mm. And it was because he had the largest cattle. Physically, they were huge. <laughs> and no one knew what he was doing. And you look at his practices, and it's very common now for distilleries to we do it at Hiram Walker and Sons Distillery. We buy grain from the Ontario farmers, we make our whiskey, we sell the grain back mm -hmm. for their livestock. Great. And it's kind of the whole full circle, full circle of life. Circle of life. But back then, yeah, he was a very Instead innovative of man. The Simba, you're holding up the little baby calf, right? <laughs> little, little cow. Oh, yeah. uh, Elton John in the background, maybe more Celine Dion. Um, <laughs> but uh, thank you very much. He uh, also, one note with him was he launched his J.P. Weiser's whiskey in the Chicago Fair, uh, early 1900s, first in glass. And I mean, you think of this, like J.P. Weiser's, not a real well-known brand around the world, but it's older than, let's say, Jack Daniels. You know, one of the most famous whiskeys yeah. on the planet, but it's been around since 1857, he's been making the whiskey. Awesome. So what did you pass around this first mark here, Mick? This is the 18-year-old. Awesome. So this is uh, J.P. Weiser, 18 years. So what, what kind of grain is going into this glass? This is 100% corn whiskey. 100% corn? 100% corn whiskey. Growing I mean, in Canada. Growing in Canada. We buy all of our grain in Ontario, not rule or regulation. It's just Ontario is the size of Texas. Oh, so there's big. enough farms that we can purchase locally. Uh, one of the families we've been buying corn from, we've been buying from them since 1858. Wow. Their sole purpose is they make, they grow corn for our distillery. You guys are it's doing the dough cool. dough for, for, for hundreds of years. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, I think that's kind of neat to say that we've got a relationship like this now. What's the farm called? I don't know the name of the actual farm. It's totally fine. So 100% um, corn. 100% corn. And um, is this going to be an open fermentation, closed fermentation? Closed fermentation. Do you guys use a proprietary yeast stream for this or? No. The key with this that makes it very unique mm -hmm. is it's double column distilled. Okay. Now this is what Canadian whiskey is known for. Back when the Scottish and the English were teaching us to make whis whiskey, we were essentially learning to make moonshine. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming everyone here 
has an idea what moonshine is. It's not the easiest sipping whiskey in the world. Uh, two gentlemen from the UK, Goodman Mortz, came to Canada. They moved to the town of York, which is the city of Toronto now. They were grain millers. It's a whole long story, but they essentially created the process of double column distillation. So imagine one run through a column still essentially takes all the harsh qualities away, but leaves a lot of the big flavors. Second run through a column still strips away all the big, big flavors from the grain and yeast and leaves you with a light base whiskey, which Canadian whiskey is pretty much known for being quite light. So imagine back in the mid 1800s when everyone's enjoying moonshine because they don't know anything else. And then someone starts producing a light base whiskey. What do you think happens? People are drinking a lot faster. It, it, it explodes. <laughs> you look at all the ads from like the late 1800s, early 1900s, and every whiskey, Canadian whiskey producer, was claiming they had the lightest whiskey in the land. Okay. And that was kind of how Canadian whiskey made its name for itself. So this is a perfect example of 100% corn whiskey, double column distilled. Uh, your second run to distill it comes off at about 94.5 ABV. We put this into ex-Canadian casks. Like Ireland and Scotland, we buy up a lot of ex-Bourbon casks, mm -hmm. and we'll use those. And then if we use them again, we call it a Canadian whiskey cask, okay. if we've already, if we've pre-aged in it. So these, like you say, youngest blend in here will be 18 years old. The oldest blend, Dr. Don's told me might be 20, 21, 22, but predominantly this is an 18-year-old whiskey. Great, so let's go ahead and stick our noses in this glass and breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting on this JP Weiser 18? Does anyone, and I'm I'll leading you with this, but does anyone get green apple? I know now that I say it, it can, I always get green apple like dipped in toffee, like you, Halloween when you get the red apple and caramel. This is kind of the green apple, Granny th Smith and caramel. I think if you're gonna say any fruit quality, this is definitely yeah. apple as the fruit quality for this whiskey. I just always get an inherent sweetness from all Canadian whiskeys. I'm definitely Absolutely. getting the smell of like a light brown sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's not gonna be, yeah, definitely. Not white brown, not white sugar, it's definitely light brown sugar, yeah. like like a cookie batter, um, chocolate chip cookie batter right before you put the chocolate chips in. And one thing, Dr. Don is our master blender who we'll speak of. Uh, he always brings up he, the fact that at the 10 year mark of whiskey aging, ethyl acetate comes out. It's, the, it's essentially the characteristics of green apple. What is it again? Athelacetate. Athelacetate. If Don, only Pedro was here, he'd yeah, love that word. And, and <laughs> Don always say it's the characteristics of green apple because it's easier to write down and remember. And so this, being double column distilled, if you have a peated whiskey from Scotland or you have a bourbon, mm -hmm. the way it's distilled, generally you never really get that green apple characteristics because it's covered up. But where this is extremely light, this is the lightest whiskey in our entire portfolio, I would say. Um, the green character, green apple character does shine through. So go ahead and tap this over your tongue and see how that experience changes for you. Light is the perfect way to describe this whiskey. I feel like it's dangerous almost. It's something that you can like put over ice and put a few ounces in there and drink it very quickly. It, it's got a nice creamy mouth feel too. Mm -hmm. Like you say, it goes back very, very easily. So how long is that fermentation process? Because typically, I mean, I mean, a fermentation process that's really short, I mean, and you don't want to kind of elongate that too much, you get those green apple notes. Yeah. How, long is, how long are you guys fermenting this for before? Our corn is three days, okay. and all of our smaller grains, like the barley, wheat, and rye, about 2.5, 2.5 days. And so where are you guys sourcing your barrels from? 
The barrels, the ex-bourbon to be quite honest, because currently right now we have 1.6 million barrels laying down with whiskey aging. Wow. Most people don't realize I bought the whiskey from this distillery. I used to own bars and restaurants and I bought their whiskey for years and didn't realize how large the distillery is. But by case volume, it's the largest distillery in North America. And how much are you guys producing a year? How many We're putting out five to six million cases of product a year. Wow. And don't get me wrong, that is not all of our product. We make a lot of Canadian whiskey in the market, and where Canadian whiskey, uh, we haven't even talked about how it's made, but all the distillates stay separate, separate to the end. Yeah. So a lot of American companies, whiskey companies, can buy our straight rye, our straight corn, bring it to the U.S. because the rules and regulations are different. Worth 52 categories. Similar to the way the Japanese do it. Yeah. The grains are individually. So you can, they, you can buy it from us and put it in a bottle and put American whiskey and write fermented, distilled, and aged for us is all it has to say on the back of the bottle, essentially. You don't so, have to say where it came from. And are you guys also selling some of these distillates much like MGP does? We sell a lot. We yeah, sell a we lot. Sell and typically, lot. I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a whiskey meant for blending, correct? So where, where can we maybe find some of your stuff, if you can disclose I, that. I, I, let's put it this way, I can tell you everything. We don't hide anything, but it wouldn't be very fair. And if, <laughs> yeah, no, if if you, I can't say who buys from us, but. So I have one question. There's a bottle that we recently got. It's a Mr. Sam tribute. Would it be safe to say that there's a little bit of that? To be honest, I'm not actually sure. Because I know it's a blend of a Canadian whiskey and okay. American whiskey, but they don't disclose anything, anything. else. I mean, it, most likely we sell a lot of bulk whiskey, so it, it could, could be, but I'm be. not. I'll ask Don, our master blender, I'll be like, oh, do, do we sell to them? And he'll be like, I don't actually know, because <laughs> there's just so much going on that he's not in charge of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> when you're in the blending lab and you see certain labeled bottles, I've had my jaw drop a few times. I'm like, we make their whiskey? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Um, but, uh, just give us a new no, 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 no. But I mean, that's very common. Like you say, that's just, just tell me that's, what it rhymes that's, with. That's, that's business. That's, that's <laughs> like, you say, with, yeah. the, the amount of American whiskeys that don't, like, that are made here but don't have a distillery because they're made at another mm -hmm. distillery in America, that's just the way it works. That's just the way we it make, is. I can say this, uh, when you come on our tour, like you say, it's a nine hour tour with the Ooh. blending class. It's a big distillery to go through. There's always one part, I like to be a little cheeky, and I bring you around the corner and we're whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. And you say, why? Why do I smell suntan lotion? And I'm like, we're making Malibu today. <laughs> so they, they produce Malibu at Hiram Walker Distillery for North America. Wow. wow. So think about that. That's like that's. Wow. Interesting. And Maybe that's, that's a whole other sector. <laughs> that's like the liqueur sector. I'm just like having this vision in my mind that I'm like, I'm totally fantasizing this and it's absolutely not true, but I'm just like imagining different sections in your facilities where like Malibu is just like beach balls in yeah. there. And, and, the, and the JP Weiser side is just very, you know, just like very serious. Well, it's, it is, it's a massive factory. Like to, for me to say that I'm gonna take you through and show you a romantic tour like you would in Scotland and Ireland, mm -hmm. it's a huge factory that yeah. does not happen. How many people do you guys employ there? Or can you, do you have a rough estimate of how many I mean, people work in there? the offices, because the offices look after uh, uh, HR for Pernod Ricard North America. So the offices probably have 100 people, but when we walk through the distillery, you rarely see anyone. Mm. I mean, it's 100, 100 people. Yeah. yeah. There's one woman, Christy, 
She's the first person we meet. She's our gatekeeper. She sends a lot of grown men home crying every day. Love that. You have to get past her. Everyone that brings their grain in, where you were speaking abroad earlier, mm -hmm. you bring the grain in, we've got to do grade two, which is grade one doesn't really exist anywhere. Like, I don't even know what grade one corn would be used for. Grade yeah. two's as good as it gets. Also, we have to make sure that all of the grain does not have certain uh, molds and whatnot that wouldn't even affect whiskey, but affects the animals afterwards, because mm -hmm. when we feed it. So there's a lot we have to go through. And you would be surprised how many people will show up with a truck full of grain and you look at the top and it's gorgeous. And then underneath, yeah. it's like you're not gonna find out. Like She has <laughs> machines that oversees it with her, but at the end of the day, it's her nose. Yeah. And the vomitoxin is one of the chemicals that'll kill. It wouldn't affect us, we wouldn't know it. Um, but it would kill livestock. Yeah. So she has to test everything for vomitoxin. That's incredible, um, that's crazy. I always tease her, I'm like, if you were a sommelier, she <laughs> would be incredible because what her <laughs> nose picks up that just the average person does not, like it's, she's amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's been known that, you know, some of the best noses in the world are actually females. They're a little bit more sensitive to those yep. kinds of things. Ooh, yes, exactly. 100%. All right, so Mick just came around with the second mark here. Mick, what did you pass around? This is the 15. The 15. 15. To touch a little bit more about Canadian whiskey, like when we were speaking of Christy checking out all the grains, the corn, the rye, the wheat, the barley. They and all, all of it's from Canada, right? Sourced all from Canada. Canada. Again, not a law. We could buy from the US or different parts of Canada. It would not matter, but all currently now from Canada. Uh, maybe if we start selling to China, we might start selling a lot more whiskey and have to start <laughs> buying from different places. I don't know. Um, but all of the grains stay on their own until the very end. So each grain is fermented separately, each grain is distilled separately, and we distill in different ways. Each grain is aged separately, and we age in different types of casks, different amounts of time. To be a Canadian whiskey must be minimum three years, but our oldest we currently have right now is a J.P. Weiser's 35-year-old. Okay. Uh, and this is where our master blender at the end, he takes all of those whiskeys and he makes a blend of whiskey, different expressions. And you also can't age it in barrels that are larger than 700 liters, liters, correct? Yeah, you're okay. good. You were listening to when Dr. Don was here. <laughs> I like that. Uh, no, it's great. Most people don't know that, but yeah, 100% can't be over 700 liters, and it has to be a wooden cask. Which Canadian law, to be a Canadian whiskey, you must be international law, cereal, grain, corn, rye, wheat, barley. Mm -hmm. You must be fermented in Canada. You must be distilled in Canada. You must be, an age, must be aged in Canada in a wooden cask, no larger than 700 liters, minimum three years. So with that, you could, let's just put it this way, you could be lazy and just put out some double column distilled corn that was in an old barrel, let it sit there for three years and go to places like Buffalo, New York when I look at the shelves and go, <laughs> I've never heard of these whiskeys before, yeah. but they're all Canadian whiskeys. Yeah. $6 for a bottle. Oh. Or, and that's not, that hurts the category. Or, with our rules and regulations, you can bring out any characteristic from any grain, any flavor, take away. You can age in rum casks, cognac casks, tequila casks, you name it. You can finish off yeah. and bring out the flavors from that. We do 100% rise, we do 11 distillate whiskeys. It's endless of what you can do. Yeah, so the thing about like having ultimate control over your distillate like that, much like the Japanese do, they're individually you know, distilling everything. Where are you making your cuts from? 
or like where are you pulling? Uh, do you have like a specific format that you like to follow specifically for JP Weisers or? It's all gonna be different. Okay. I mean, that's gonna be even more of a dawn thing. Yeah, yeah, each one's gonna be unique and that's what makes it so yeah, cool absolutely. because they are so unique. Yeah. So I can't even give you an exact answer on that because there wouldn't be there's not an That's exact okay. How long has it. Don uh, been your master distiller for? He's been master blender. Master blender, sorry. It yes. always happens because there's no master blenders <laughs> in the US. Master blenders. Uh, we do have a master distiller, great guy, but Don oversees it all okay. uh, from start to finish, grain to glass. Don's been our master blender since 2012. Okay. He's worked at the distillery since the late 90s, but oh, he wow. got his PhD in brewing and distilling okay. over at Harriet Watt as he was hired as our master blender and came back with that. And it's pretty impressive. You've you've sat in and listened to one of his classes, have you not? I think a long time Maybe ago, a yeah. long time ago. I just, I feel like he was here a yeah. while back, but that man can talk about wood for three hours and what it does to whiskey and keep you engaged because <laughs> yes. he's one of the biggest science geeks oh, you've ever met. I wanna met. get him to come back. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get him down here, it'll be great. Uh, All right, so this uh, 18, so we were saying, it's what's, uh, what's the blend on this again? So this is three three distillates of corn. Okay. Uh, and it's majority corn whiskey, but one distillate is uh, from ex-bourbon casks. Okay. And you get the dried fruit, date notes. One distillate is from new oak. You get okay. all the vanilla, toffee, caramel characteristics come out a lot more prominently. And then- It's, vir it's virgin, it hasn't been charred at all? Uh, charred, charred okay. American oak, charred. Charred, okay. Uh, and then Canadian whiskey casks as well, as we were discussing, it's just an ex-bourbon cask that's been reused. And then you've got a small amount of rye, and we generally don't speak percentages, but I would say probably 10% once column distilled rye that was aged in ex-bourbon casks blended into this. And this is also the only mark on the table. There's one thing we haven't talked about with Canadian whiskey. Let's talk about it. Actually, let's go ahead and stick our this, nose this, in our glasses first. This is it. Before, <laughs> tell me if you smell or nose or taste anything that's a little unique before we talk about this other rule. I would say that this one's a little bit more astringent, but I don't know if it's because it's had a higher proof. I'm getting, I immediately got like a violet, which is like very, you know, that seems highly unusual, but that's you know, it's, I mean, that's the beauty of this. Everyone's gonna smell and taste different things because exactly. everyone's palate's different. I can't tell you you're wrong. That would be very stupid of me because yeah, that's what you're absolutely. getting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up on a farm, so I had a very weird palate. Yeah, oh, our no. ability to taste and smell is based on our memory, so there are no wrong answers when it comes to whiskey. What are you guys getting over there in the corner? I licorice. Licorice? Okay. A little niece. All right, go ahead and tap it over your tongue and see how that changes for you. Personally, I get a lot of sweetness out of this. Like a lot. I get a lot of like, sweetness. Almost like a rummy, like a dark rummy sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll understand in a minute when I tell you 100%. The one rule we didn't talk about with Canadian whiskey is, say, pretty standard rules. One thing the Canadian whiskey barons set in motion in the mid 1800s, and I can't tell you why it was set in, because it wasn't them saving money, because what they were doing was costing them more money. There's a 9.09 .09 rule. You can blend yeah. an aged spirit or a wine into Canadian whiskey, up to 9.09% .09 into a whiskey blend. Seems so weird, right? And if you look at the mid 1800s, the most sought after and rare and expensive spirits in the world were cognac and Jamaican rum. Yeah. So they weren't doing it to save a buck, they were doing it to enhance flavors. Now, 
this day, it's not used as much. Um, when we do blending classes at the distillery, I always, we go through, Don puts out close to 100 distillates that he's made. Wow. It's a three-hour class, and at the end, he welcomes everyone to make their own blend of whiskey. And he puts over to the side some rum, some uh, cognac, some sherry, wine, if anybody wants to put a little into their blend, just to add to it. Five years ago, most of the bartenders would put their nose down to it and not even go near it. Now everyone, we have bartenders around the world coming in and everyone loves the idea that they can add a little something to their whiskey to enhance the flavor. We generally don't do it with many of our blends, but this 15 year old, we have under 2% of a sherry blended into it. Interesting. So Where that's you, where they're getting that sweetness. So uh, not a cast, an actual sherry. Actual in there. sherry where are you sourcing your sherry from? That, <laughs> I would tell you if I knew, but I do not know. That's totally fine. Do you know the type of sherry it is by any chance? I think this is PX. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, Pedro Jimenez. And it's, you know, and when you tell people that, you're like, oh, now I kind of get a little bit of it or like the sweetness <laughs> from it. And it was just something Don he, like you say, with most of his blends, he doesn't take advantage of the 9.09 rule, but this one he did. I think you guys are, and I mean, in Canada, we're talking about how these, uh, the regulations aren't as strict as, say, maybe like a Not bourbon like a would bourbon be. Or yeah. a scotch, Which absolutely. is one of the most highly regulated categ yeah. uh, category of spirits. So are you, you guys are able to add coloring and sugar after, correct? We can, we don't do sugar, we add coloring, right. like, I mean, even scotch adds color. Like, color's, color's a thing for consistency mm -hmm. because if you went to a store and there were two different bonds of one of the whiskeys and the color was off a little bit, that's when people forget. So it is complete consistency. My first week working at the distillery, mm -hmm. I turned my nose down to them putting color in it. Don just shook his head, grabbed my hand, and there happened to be the caramel coloring. And he just put a blob in my hand and he goes, Drink that, and you're like, it's just this dark, dark brown. I'm like, I was like, oh, water has more flavor. And he was like, yeah. He goes, people hear the word caramel, and we all our our brains go to flavor. Yeah. It doesn't have flavor to it. It's just the coloring, the consistency. It's a coloring agent. So they are using caramel coloring in all of the expressions that we're tasting tonight. Tonight, everything except the the seasoned oak. The seasoned oak. And yeah. you just mentioned it off the bat too. In Scotch, they're allowed to add coloring as well. Yeah. And in Irish every whiskey, every other spirit category. I know we're a whiskey bar, but anything else, fair game. Oh, yeah, sugar, absolutely. sugar coloring, all the, all yeah. that. You know, the most expensive rums in the world could have a dose of sugar yeah. tossed in. Oh, absolutely. Same, like, I was completely devastated. I'm from Nicaragua, so, like, I'm, like, a diehard, like, representative <laughs> yeah. of Flor de Caña, and, like, when I was told that they had caramel coloring, and I'm like, oh, my God, no, it's completely, like, over for me, but it's, it's something that's done consistently across the board for several spirits. Um, it was one of my favorite distillery tours. Ah. They brought me down there a few years ago. It was nice. pretty cool. Well, I'm glad that you've seen some of the island. Oh I mean, God. not that, I mean, the... Beautiful. Country. Country. Beautiful. Awesome. Country. So, uh, Mick, what did you pass out here? This one is the rye. Awesome. So now we can talk about that interchangeability. You know, I mean, because let's go back to the history here. Um, so you guys were predominantly using corn and wheat. I was going to say in the beginning, the it would have been yes. wheat, and it would have been wheat predominantly. And then you look at the log books, you look at history, you see. Uh, where there was so much rye growing. Mm -hmm. And especially a lot of the people from the UK, like no one was really using rye at that time to make whiskey. So much rye in Canada, they started adding rye mm -hmm. to the whiskeys. It became the spice. 
essentially. If you, Don it's always- like a dash in there. Don always talks about it this way. He's like, corn on the cob. We all like corn on the cob. Well, yeah. I'm just, a lot of people like corn on the cob. Sweet, rich, creamy. Mm -hmm. You add a bit of pepper or salt for the spice, and that's what Canadian whiskey does with its rye. Yeah, I'm thinking about eloteros right now, just gently yeah. brushing mayo, the chili, yeah. the cheese. You, you add that spice. Can you tell I'm hungry? So essentially, <laughs> Canadian whiskey, if you think of any Canadian whiskey on the market, there's a few big names. I mean, Crown Royal and Canadian Club are the two that are around planet Earth. You can be in the islands of Thailand or New Zealand, and you'll see a bottle on a back bar. Same as our J.P. Weiser's Deluxe, which was in your cocktail tonight. Yes, Traditional was. style Canadian whiskeys are double column distilled corn, that base whiskey with a pinch of rye added to it. And it's usually called Canadian rye whiskey, <laughs> which gets really confusing when you're in the U.S. market, mm -hmm. especially because rye in is the U.S. Its is its yeah. own category. Minimum 51% rye, it's rye. It punches in the jaw. It's what you love about it, it's rye. Canadian whiskey, it's just Canadian rye whiskey. If you go to Canada, like everyone just says, I'll have a rye and ginger, rye and Coke. Like everyone, most Canadians think that the whiskey's made of rye, which is kind of funny. And that's a yeah. lot of, to be quite honest, brands faults over the years. The reason no one knows about Canadian whiskey is because the brands haven't been educating. Yeah. This is when I took this job five years ago, the one thing I insisted on, and they've been amazing. We've built a distillery tour, a brand center, and it's all education is what the whole thing is based off of because it's some, such a misunderstood spirit. Yeah, and I feel like after, just like from the history standpoint, I mean, the prohibition in Canada only lasted about a year, right? It was like 1915 and 1916. Every province was a little different, was but little yeah, different. it was like, I not think a couple provinces were a couple years, but yeah, predominantly well, did not Prohibition ended long. here in America. I mean, they were marketing rye with Canadian rye yeah. whiskey in America. So, I mean, a lot of the distilleries that we had here after, um, after um, prohibition, they were, I mean, a lot of them were used for industrial purposes. So when, you know, the second world war came around, they were using it to use, to make different kind, they were using their distilleries not for whiskey making. So Canadian whiskey had a huge rap oh, yeah. we in were, America. We were sitting there, like you say, Civil War is what brought Canadian whiskey into the U.S. Mm -hmm. North and to South. And Al Capone. <laughs> now, but funny enough, Prohibition killed the Canadian whiskey category, American Prohibition. Because mm -hmm. yes, the Al Capone, the movies we see, that all happened on a very small scale. But it shut down most of the Canadian whiskey distilleries because America, our best customer, was not able to buy from us anymore. Yeah. So it really, the strong survived. Like our distillery survived. Uh, there's a couple of the large ones that survived, but it shut down most. Say, American Prohibition's over. We're ready for you. We had yeah, all this age right whiskey. Ready. We're ready yeah. for you. We're going in, and and that's where Canadian whiskey, like say, in the U.S., it sells. Like the state of Texas consumes more Canadian whiskey every year than the whole country of Canada. That's so crazy. <laughs> that's incredible. Like, and that I'd love to say was one of my brands. It is. It's it's Crown. <laughs> and the funny thing is you go to Texas, and this is just fact, even the people that sell Crown tell me this, like, no one knows it's Canadian whiskey. Interesting. It's just Crown, just Crown Royal, and that's they, what people They drink. hear the Royale, and they're like, oh, it's, Fancy it's European. Bottle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so this right here, um, so what's the blend here? Well, this, so I got to give you a little background. Yes, vegan. please. If you've seen J.P. Weiser's cream label bottle that says rye, R-Y-E on it here in the U.S. It was made for the U.S. a few years ago. When I started with the company, part of my job was to come down and sell this whiskey. 
I'd never truly had it before, tried it before I came down. Like, this is nice, but it's very light. You know, just like what we had, I was like, it's really light. They're like, well, yeah, it's predominantly uh, corn. We at, we up the ride to like 15%. I was like, oh, <laughs> I said, you guys are killing me. I was like, this is not what's gonna work for us in the US yeah. if you're putting rye on the label. Yeah. And by law, we're allowed to because it's Canadian Absolutely. rye. Absolutely. It didn't, it didn't go over well. It didn't work. No. Uh, enough people spoke aloud to where our powers that be went, you know what, let's give them what they want. And this is where Don was able to make the blend that he wanted. It's this new bottle. I was saying earlier that I brown bagged yeah, it for the, first, for the first year, <laughs> just to throw people off. Now, it is still made in a Canadian style way, but we added some twists of America. So this JP Weiser's rye, we upped the ABV to 45. We took the rye from like 10% rye to a once column distilled rye at 60% is in the blend, 37% column distilled corn, and then a pot distilled wheat to take up the rest, aged in the three casks. Yeah, it so says triple barrel on it. Brand new virgin oak, ex-bourbon, the Canadian whiskey cask, which gives grain and yeast characteristics to it. And this has been received, I haven't been pushing it for a year yet, mm -hmm. but it's been received quite well from the bartender community. I think it's about $19.99, $20.99 on retail. It's incredible. Let's go ahead and stick our nose in this glass and breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting on this? So this is the difference <laughs> from what you had before with a light, creamy, rich. You're get, now you're getting that, the rye notes, you're getting the baking spices, you're getting cloves, mm -hmm. some cinnamon. I'm getting some like, uh, like it tastes like cereal with nutmeg sprinkled on top yeah. of it. Yeah. This is, these guys know, but it's like, somebody wants a Manhattan, an old fashioned, like your classic styles. Mm -hmm. You look at all those books from the late 1800s and the whiskey used to make those drinks were American rye or Canadian whiskey. It wasn't bourbon back then, it was American rye, Canadian whiskey is what all those drinks were made up of. Mm -hmm. I always joke, this is kind of the best of both worlds. It's a Canadian whiskey that's <laughs> high in rye right now. Yeah. So it makes, it makes a great classic. And for bars, because they get it little discounted price, it's like, you know, for, you can use it for a rail at $14.99. So it's a, I think it's very beautiful whiskey. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and tap it over your tongue. What are you guys getting on this triple barrel J.P. Weiser's rye? I do get a little bit more hot. It's a little bit hotter for sure. It's it's getting, I'm getting that yeah. bloom. It's definitely yeah. yummier and it's definitely something I would want more in a cocktail than the mm -hmm. previous two. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, the previous two would be covered up by anything. Yeah. But this can stand up against a vermouth or an herbal liqueur and not be overpowered. Mm -hmm. I have other expressions of whiskey, different brands, and we've got one that's 100% pot distilled rye. And it's like, it's all right. This has almost got a softer side to it. So if you're someone who Perhaps rye is too much for you, but mm -hmm. bourbon's too sweet. This is almost a great in-between. So you have pot stills at your facilities. Mm, we do. And those, um, the ones that you're using your pot, your pot stills for, are those only being released in Canada? Are those not available in the American mm. market? Or they're, is there no, a combination they're, they're of They're certainly both? here. Now, getting all businessy right now is I have two importers. Ah. So the people we're working with today, the JP Weiser's people, mm -hmm. that's who we're here for. And then I have another importer that sells our other brands. Ah, biscuits. okay, 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 okay. More of the, here's how I explain our lineup. We were talking earlier about uh, the Irish whiskey category. Mm -hmm. 
if you think of our J.P. Weiser's expressions, kind of like um, almost a Jameson. Your, you know, your traditional style Canadian whiskeys and, and, and higher marks. And then we have our craft side too, which is our Lot 40, Goodman, Morris, Pike Creek. Okay. And those are kind of the smaller craft whiskeys as okay. well. These are, these are the powerhouses that keep the lights on. What's fascinating is you mentioned the historical use of Canadian rye or Canadian whiskey in uh, cocktails. And um, I'm a giant Japanese cocktail nerd. Yep. And there's a Japanese cocktail book and they say rye, that means Canadian. In that head, that's just oh, trans really? because it's from, the, they, they learned how to make cocktails in the 20s and yep. then they never really talked to anyone else. Well, there's, <laughs> part of my job, I always joke, but it's not really a joke, is I'm fighting 150 years of false truths and misleading things. I've spoken to dear friends who are very well-respected drink writers in the world, in America and UK, and I've read some of their articles of their books, and I said, so you know um, you're part of Canadian whiskey is completely false, and they're like, we get it, we know now. It's like, there's, like, there's, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, I'm working on something. Fourth edition. Um, <laughs> Uh, but for instance, one myth is a lot of people think you can blend neutral grain spirit or vodka into Canadian whiskey, which is mm. completely illegal. You could never do that. <laughs> but where it comes from, uh, our national ambassador, Gina, used to work with a lot of different American whiskeys, is with your 52 categories of American whiskey. Mm -hmm. You've got bourbon, which is the strictest rules and regulations mm -hmm. in the world, yeah. thanks to scotch, but then you've got American blended. Yeah. And you could put 80% vodka into that blend and put American whiskey. Yeah. So I think when people hear the term blended, yeah. when you're in America, they think American blended and then Canadian blended, you can do the same thing, but you cannot yeah. put any neutral grain spirits. This is great, yeah. So what's this last one that you, uh, the, uh, that you passed out here, so Mick? This is the season of Bearcats. So this is a treat. You this were is a treat. This is a you treat. You cannot buy this. Um, we always love that here at the Whiskey Society. <laughs> Things we cannot buy but taste once and remember later. I'll just, I'll bring one every time I come. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> we, we put a lot of uh, limited releases out every year because Dr. Don's always creating stuff. And he's, yeah. he's even got old whiskeys that he's got to deal with in the distillery that he'll come up with crazy creations. Um, being a doctor of wood, he likes to experiment with wood. So this is pretty simple. The blend of this, very easy, it's predominantly double column distilled corn, little column distilled rye, probably under 10%. Very traditional blend of a Canadian whiskey. But what's unique for this was he worked with the master at Canton Cooperage, California, to make some seasoned oak casks. Mm -hmm. So brand new American oak. Essentially, simply put, it was laid outside for 48 months to season naturally. But dry dry seasoning your barrels is not something that's completely un, unknown in the whiskey industry. Um, McAllen's doing it, Highland Park is doing it, they're cultivating these beautiful 30-year European oak trees. Glenmorangie's doing, yep. doing it also. Um, Maker's Mark did it once upon a time also. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing that currently, but essentially what they're doing, instead of when they harvest these trees, instead of putting it into a kiln to dry out a little bit before they make it into a barrel, essentially they're seasoning it under the sun. And at that point, a little bit of the terroir is being um, embedded into that barrel. Um, it's definitely something that kind of people do to up the ante of their whiskey. <laughs> yeah. That was really well said, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, Dr. Dawn, this was just, it was something they just wanted to play around with, essentially. It was like, I'd like to try it and see what happens. So made. I think there were 6,000 bottles made. 
Wow. Sold out last year. I think there's a few left at the distillery. Um, and just fun, like just being able to show off that we can do different, unique things yeah. with our whiskey. Not that the seasoned oak is unique, but for it's, Canadian it's, whiskey, it's, it Canadian is, yeah. whiskey it is. Is it safe to say that the the majority of the rye that you're distilling is being sold instead of putting into actual Canadian whiskey? No, because like I say the, the other, other brands, brands that I right. have, a I lot of it is all that. rye. We're talking about J.P. Weiser right and now, And J.P. Weiser is generally, yeah, J.P. Weiser generally is that lighter base corn whiskey. An interesting fact to talk about the distillery and where we are, because we are the most southern tip of Canada, mm -hmm. where our summers there, they are equivalent to the temperature in Louisville, Kentucky in the hot, summer. Hot, it's humid. You know, hot, humid. So those 1.6 million barrels are just expanding like crazy, but it's also, it's still Canada, and that part of the world where it goes to a complete 360 and mm -hmm. drop. Mm. So. 40 degrees Celsius yeah. goes minus 40 degrees Celsius in the winter. And that's actually the only time when Fahrenheit and Celsius matches up. So minus, <laughs> minus 40 wow. Fahrenheit is minus Zero. 40 Celsius. That's crazy. Wow. So it gets cold in the winter. So is your rack house at your facility also, or are you guys aging them in a different, or, uh, in a different part of the country? They or? are all there. They're, they're all a there. 20 minute drive from the distillery because you can't really have it there amongst all the People. What did uh, you say your angel share is during those uh, those hot those hot um, we hot summers? The what's Don always say? The distillery works for three weeks for free a year because of it, but it's uh, three percent. <laughs> oh, okay. that's quite high actually. Yeah, because yeah. they say from May until mid October, it's pretty warm in those. Like it's hot inside of the barrel houses. And the warmth is one thing, but the swing in temperature is also forcing the liquid in and out really hard into that oak. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. It's unique because it's also, it captures, like when you go in the warehouses, if we were to go in May when it's, you know, it's not hot yet, but the sun's coming out, everything's yeah. melting and we can open a door and I can stand there and do this and my skin can get a bit of a sunburn, but if I go, you can still see your breath in the warehouse. <laughs> and then you, opposite, you go in the winter and we're January and we're freezing and you yeah. go in and the guys and gals are in shorts because it's, Kept it the temperature, and, it and the then heat. usually around January, February, it starts getting cold in there. But it, uh, the swing's really interesting. So go ahead and stick your nose in this glass and breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting on this? What is this called again? J.P. Weiser's seasoned oak. Seasoned oak. Pretty original. <laughs> very easy, very easy name, seasoned oak. That's the seasoning. Just the season, yeah. seasoning of the sun, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that's, the, that's barrels, the, process, yeah. the process of drying out those oh, those trees under the sun is called seasoning the that's oak, yummy, essentially. That, that's really yummy, that though. <laughs> the sun is seasoning it for us. <laughs> this is nice. I'm getting almost like a like a like a mocha spicy kind of thing from this. I think even that, like, if you have any of our straight rye, which is not a category in Canada, but it would be a straight rye if it was made in the U.S., uh, people always say they get floral from the, from our rye. Mm -hmm. They really floral yeah. and citrus off of it. Go ahead and tap that over your tongue and see how that experience changes for you guys. I'm getting, like, s'mores for sure. I'm getting, like, dark chocolate. Yeah, toasted marshmallows. Graham cracker, absolutely. There's a... You got, like, sweet barbecue. Sweet barbecue? Yeah. What oh, are you guys absolutely. getting over here? Toffee. Coffee. Have you guys ever had the chance to try any of like those mesquite, uh, mesquite smoked or like, oak, like Texas oak smoked or whatever uh, whiskeys? Like, there's a little 
barbecue spice at the end of it. I'm really mm -hmm. getting along with Mick, I and mean, it's really nice. Yeah, it is. It's smoke. It's this is the first time that I've ever been able to be like, oh, that's smoke as opposed to peat. Yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. This is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, definitely. Now, yeah, the power suggests, and I'm like getting barbecue chips now on the nose. And so this is yeah, this is where Don gets to have his fun. Like every year, he puts out a few different. I mean, he one year he did his JP Weiser's dissertation. It literally was the whiskey he made for his dissertation. That's awesome. Uh, he did a JP Weiser's Union Fifty Two, which was a bit of a long story, but we had some fifty-two-year-old Scotch in Ooh. our distillery. Wow. And that was where we had to take advantage of the 9.09 .09 rule because there wasn't yeah. enough of this scotch to do <laughs> anything with, and we couldn't call it a scotch because it was aged in Canada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so many unique uh, expressions that I won't want to say we're leading the category, but we're certainly trying to set a standard. And, and I, we talked to a lot of other brands and like, there's just so much that their master blenders can do. There's a lot of uh, men and women in Canada making whiskey right now that I think, I'd say the next five to 10 years, you're going to see some pretty amazing expressions come out. And it's, we're so watching the So is that something category. that we can expect? So with these, these, I mean like this one that you just poured yeah. for us, the seasoned oak, or is that something that we can expect in the California market maybe in the future? Definitely. Definitely, okay. Because, I mean, yes. it's, <laughs> it's this simple. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's business. <laughs> something starts selling more, mm -hmm. then they're gonna bring more to the market. Yeah. Absolutely. Like in Canada, there's certain provinces that get a little more love from our special items because mm -hmm. they buy up a lot of our regular stuff. Mm -hmm. and that's just the way it works. They look at the numbers and, and that's where it goes. And the funny thing about that. So back's doing a lot better. In, in five years ago, you didn't go with a, a whiskey to come back. It was like wine, wine, wine. But now, yeah, the, uh, the, the whiskey is really growing category in Quebec. What are you saying, Lee? Oh, what's funny about the 9.09 um, the .09 rule is that in America, we're seeing, I won't name names, but we're seeing more whiskeys popped up that are premium products. They're not like, you know, like, they're not like a spicy whiskey or a honey whiskey. And yeah. they're adding other things to it. And they're trying to pass it off as something like very innovative, very exciting as a premium product. And so it's funny that it's kind of in a tradition for Canada. And yeah. it's maybe even flown under the radar there where they don't- 100%, and that's, I mean, I personally think, put it on the label, be like, oh, we've added this to, to you yeah, know, to create this. People eat that this. shit up in LA, absolutely. 100%, but most, <laughs> yeah, most, I mean, yeah, we're all, all brand ambassadors, we're all buddies and friends, so we all know each other's secrets and that kind of stuff. And like yeah. a lot of the brands that do blend in, brandy or whatnot, just they don't bother advertising it. Well, I mean, I mean, that's why, I mean, personally for me, I think that's why I love whiskey so much. I mean, I have a lot of respect for mezcal, but it's completely driven and based off of the terroir and what that agave is. But with whiskey, we have so many different kinds of things we can do, and the variations are seemingly limitless. Um, so it's exciting when we get to try stuff like this, and I want to thank you very much for bringing this. This is awesome. Of course, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having Cheers. me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Really Cheers, appreciate guys. That. Cheers. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. 
And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.